Morning, everybody. It's October 8th, 2021. I'm Charlie Fink. It's This Week in XR. I'm here with my co-host, Ted Chilowitz. And uh, let's get straight to the news, Ted. Morning, uh, Charlie. Kind of a light week. Facebook, 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 Facebook. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, the, the good, bad, the ugly, and, and all things related to XR sort of married in the middle of all that. I, right? a lot I, of what a stuff. freaking mess. And uh, I, I just don't know if they didn't do anything wrong this week. Um, you know, it's so funny. The title of my column was um, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Facebook. Yeah, of course. I read it just now. You know, when, they, when they're focused on VR, it's like a completely different company. But you can certainly see why, why there's such a low trust level uh, among the denizens of the VR community because of Facebook's really blatant actions. Uh, you know, I mean, Kara Swisher uh, called them brazen mm. in the New York Times. They don't seem to think anyone is ever, you know, they're ever going to be held accountable. And, and honestly, I, I don't know how they can be. I, you know, there's a need for regulation here. Uh, companies cannot be trusted to act against their self-interest. So uh, I, I don't know what the solution is. I, it, you know, again, Zuckerberg is clearly a genius and a, and a visionary, uh, but this way, this one may be too personal for him. <laughs> and, and when things get personal with him, it's very awkward because I, I don't think he's ever really lived in the real world. And, you know, his empathy level is, is low. So, you know, I think these are, I mean, great men have flaws because people, you know, they're just, they're just on display all the time. Right. So I, I feel bad because, you know, regular people work at this company, people like you and me, yet they do the wrong thing over and over again. So you start to think, you know, this is structural. This is not the people. You can replace the people, but the structure and the incentives are going to bring about the same result. Yeah, I mean, it it's interesting, all these pieces and parts, and you touched upon something saying that, you know, Mark Zuckerberg and maybe others at Facebook don't live in the real world. And I put my philosophical hat on and ask, well, is this the world now? Like the, you know, the, if you look historically at how humans evolve through society and communication tools, we can probably have a really interesting discussion about religion, right? Mm-hmm. And very often, um, these days, Apple is referred to as a religion. Google is referred to as a, as a religion. Facebook is for, referred to as a religion. They're all parts of the communication structure that gain power, and power tends to corrupt, right, and yeah. create uh, issues. Uh, and then when you layer in on top of it a public company with, quote-unquote, a fiduciary responsibility to its stockholders to generate the maximum amount of profit, you get into this ethical quandary and ethical concern that that all companies I think face in various ways. Um, and you know maybe it, 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 it's a little sidebar, but uh, kind of interesting that I've been re I'm listening to it now rereading on audiobook a book from Simon Sinek who did um, the, the the ultimate question on the why. And if you haven't watched his TED talk about why you are doing what you're doing is more important than the what that you're doing. Um, he wrote a number of books about it. Uh, and the one I'm reading now is called uh, uh, Something About the Why. I'll have to look it up. I can't remember the name of it. You know, I, ironically, I think if we had Mark on the show, which is obviously something that will never happen, um, he would not say it's only about the money. Yeah, well, and, and the book, by the way, is called Start With Why. Um, 
And I think companies of, of all sizes, including the company I work for, are constantly um, forgetting that they need to reassess their why. Why are you doing this? Right. And we often sometimes forget in, in all of the melange of all this negativity, there's still a lot of positivity around how people use these social media platforms. Yes, I've largely left them aside for the last couple of years, as you've noticed, because I just find less value and use for it. And I have other forums and, and use cases. And I think well, a lot this of- this goes people... to directly to how did we feel about the shutdown? Which is, you know, in other words, if, if are they essential to our lives or are they not essential to our lives? Because right. on one hand, for example, I'm having an Instagram exchange uh, with a guy I went to high school with that I last saw at a college reunion 10 years ago, and now he happens to be in LA. So I'm going to see him. Now, that would never have happened without these platforms. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's well, a wonderful it might have. It would have just happened thing. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I, I went on there. I don't go on Instagram and Facebook that much. I'm focused mostly on, on LinkedIn and a carefully uh, curated Twitter feed. But, you know, I usually go on there to do one thing, retrieve a picture I took, you know, on the Oculus, because that's the only way to do it. Right, um, right, right. You know, and then I, you know, I have messages and I see people so serendipitously. So it's not, you know, when it was, it, when that's what it was, it was great. Mm -hmm. but and I think they're trying to get um, back to that or find that, yeah. that, that happy place again, right? Yeah, because I don't think making, letting people connect with each other is harmful. Right. And I think <laughs> when you start to look at the VR aspirations and the metaverse aspirations largely, it is a chance to reset the deck a little bit and start again with a new vein of, uh, of communication and a new use case. So I, I tend to I hope so. I think the, you know, the drumbeat um, for and against anonymity, I think, is, is the start of not a good thing because people mm -hmm. are clearly not learning and not reflecting on what went wrong with the Internet. You know, one of the things that went wrong with the internet was anonymity enabling uh, threatening and criminal behavior. Correct. And so, I mean, I like anonymity as much as the next guy, um, but when it's harming society and enabling criminals to abuse children, you start to say, well, maybe that freedom you shouldn't have. Yeah, this is, this is the continual debate and discussion around freedom of expression, freedom of speech and privacy, right? These are not simple issues they're complex well, layered china, issues that... china manages to do this and the chinese don't view it most chinese people don't view it as a bad thing they view it as overall an asset they understand they're giving away a little privacy and that the government can use the information pretty much for any purpose um, but if you're not doing anything wrong you don't care yeah it's it, it but it's philosophically much more difficult for yes. a country like ours that has much more of an understanding. Oh, and I have liberty. no doubt that and I'm in, and there'll be unlimited anonymity. I'm just saying, here's an immediate example of us not learning from the past. Yeah, um, it's a really good, you know, structured debates. I mean, in the higher learning, mid learning, all kinds of learning, these are continually discussed and, you know, you're never going to find one answer because ultimately there are multiple approaches and multiple answers to yes it's the world is made of gray and isn't that the problem because anybody can then be an expert interpreter of grayness right so listen there's one other news story i want to get to you have to leave early you have a hard stop um i interviewed tim ruse our guest today of zero latency vr uh the giant location-based free roam uh chain yeah. that yeah. Uh, has been growing more rapidly after being founded five years ago in Australia. He has a lot to say.
So even though we're not going to have you that much on the show today, we're going to have a nice uh, long talk with Tim. It sounds like he's got pent up things to say about location-based entertainment, which by the way, uh, contrary to my predictions is doing just fine. Uh, yeah, I, doing fine enough. I mean, I think this it'll be a very interesting interview. I'm, I'm, I'm actually in some ways very happy to let you do it and then me get to listen in this time uh, and <laughs> not put my two cents in. Well, I said, Tim, Tim, Tim is a great guy and I lo always love talking to him. So one last story to discuss. Lightfield yeah. Labs is showing off real holograms. And, and, and you've I, seen it. I've been at their place, but uh, when I was there, they weren't quite ready to show it to me yet. Uh, so you've seen more than I have. Oh, and they're intimate, interactive and animated. Uh, they're they're made of light. They're clearly made of light. They're much higher resolution than the Kinomo hypervision that everybody crowds around at CES. It uses spinning LEDs to project uh, images in the seemingly in the air. Sure. Um, you know, but they're not very high resolution. So, do you see this? You know, again, with me not seeing the Lightfield Lab stuff in person, but knowing John really well and talking to them a lot. Um, and hopefully I'll see it, you know, in the next few weeks, um, what their current progress is. I've had this interest in now using 8K or higher K displays to do a stereoscopic three-dimensional high resolution, you know, merging of that. So glasses free 3D, but without that kind of strange pixelization and low res, is this something fundamentally different than that from a visual viewing experience? Well, it's, it's, it's a surface that they've created that has billions of pixels that it can project out. And it is the collision of the pixels, the light emitted from the pixels that creates the object. And, and I guess from a, what I'm asking is from a practical standpoint, since you've seen it, would you, were you so remarkably moved by what they were doing versus taking an ultra, ultra high res display and pulling a, a, a stereoscopic image that is high res enough for our eyes to resolve that is floating in midair? Is it? fundamentally different? It's just an interesting question. Uh, well, I don't know, because I couldn't do a side to side comparison. Yeah, so that would be maybe the next step is do a side by side of you know, Estrian technology uh, versus like advanced technology, right? It, you know, you start to fantasize about what they could do with all these surfaces. Mm. Right? You and I have talked about, you know, watching tabletop sports or playing tabletop sports. Yeah. You know, they, they say they can have a, you know, any place you have a video wall, you know, and that's the market they're going after. You could put up a solid, their product is called solid light. You can put up a solid light wall. And in fact, they have one of the big theme parks is gonna put up a big solid light wall, um, presumably for next year. That's one of their first customers. So oh, they didn't want to say who, they exactly. didn't want to say who, but Universal's on their board. So you can put two and two together there. Right. Um, so supposedly that it's gonna be a giant scale one. Awesome. Uh, and that will really show it's uh, how it is compared to, you know, the, the very big um, high res LED walls that people are using for virtual production. Right. Um, so anyway, uh, terrific advance, I thought. Something, you know, every couple of years you see something you haven't seen before. You know, and I would say that's the, the one last, this year. The last little news nugget to cover before you go on to Tim is the another announcement about different parts of the funding universe for the metaverse that, that Facebook is doing, right? We should maybe- Oh, the, well, this is the good Facebook. Yeah. Right, the good Facebook realizing that builders are the future and trying to make sure that the right incentives are in place. So they've got an educational incentive, they've got a business incentive, all sorts of reasons for people to either gain the skills to build in Horizon or uh, to build in Horizon for profit. 
Right. And they've built up a toolkit, which is super impressive and much mm -hmm. easier to use than Unity. Um, that said, obviously it doesn't have the depth and flexibility of Unity. It's not connected to the entire metaverse, if you will, um, the way some of the other Unity creations on VRChat and Altspace are, right? Altspace mm -hmm. and VRChat offer free hosting to people who make 3D worlds. As a result, they have a lot of 3D worlds. Right. Horizon is skipping that phase right. and giving you different tools. It still feels like spatial building. Mm -hmm. You know, there are materials and you know textures that you have to put together. Um, but you know, if you use Photoshop, it's kind of that level of sophistication versus Unity. Um, so uh, you know, which is a game engine. Unity and Unreal Engine are the two big game engines that that people use. But for uh, apps. Uh, specifically, Unity is the way that people go. Uh, AAA, AAA games, virtual production, they're playing catch up a bit. But uh, in any event, these are very similar tools that are driving the other social media worlds with no incentives behind them, right? Neither, they're trading for hosting, that's it. That's the business deal. <laughs> you put up content for us, we give you hosting. And I think what Facebook is saying, no, make a home here, become one of us, and we will pay you. I also think it's interesting as you bring up the, the point about the, the user tools and the build tools, they're learning a lot from the success of things like Roblox, these user generated, <laughs> yes, it's a game engine, but it's a layer where you have a bunch of pre-built stuff and you can essentially build. I, I, I thought of Roblox when they made this announcement because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they're trying to get ahead of this thing. Uh, the other people are going to have to do things too um, in, in order to compete. Uh, so I, I also just think it's a good thing for them to do. It's absolutely right. User-generated content is what's going to make it social and make it big. And they're playing catch-up. Right. So, you know, here's, here's some electricity for that. Uh, you know, good for them. It's sort of like Oculus Story Studios, you know, jump-starting the rift. Mm -hmm. Yep, agreed. Well, you should get on to your interview All with right. Tim. I'm going to get on to my morning meetings. And, All right, Ken, uh, take it easy. And uh, everybody will come with me to my interview with Tim Roos of Zero Latency. We'll see you again next week. Thanks, Charlie. Enjoy the interview. Allow me to introduce Tim Ruse. He's the CEO and co-founder of Zero Latency VR. Zero Latency has got uh, location-based entertainment centers all over the world. Uh, in fact, you may be the largest, Tim, and uh, it looks we like are. the pandemic is not going to slow you down. No, no, definitely, <laughs> definitely took the definitely uh, took the wind out of our sails for a bit of 2020, but things are. Definitely coming back online and, you know, as markets return and restrictions lift and I think consumer confidence builds, people are still very keen to get out and now more than ever, I think, escape their reality for a little bit of time with their friends. No, I've been hearing from all the LBE people in Europe and Asia, uh, you know, that it's back. Yeah, no, absolutely. Back, you know, they're back to where they were and they're pursuing those deals and they're going to IAPA and they're doing, yeah. you know, all the things that you do. Yeah, absolutely. But our team was uh, in IAPA, Europe, in Barcelona. They said probably attendance was down about 20%, but it was still brisk. Still lots of people out there wanting to invest money and, and build out their attractions. Absolutely. I, I think that's what we're going to see. Well, also, the that you know, a lot of the conferences are, are now going to do live streaming. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that's great. I mean, you know, if, if we come out of the pandemic with conferences having, you know, an accessible but low budget way to, yeah. you know, use the content because the content at a 
conference is always so of the moment. Yes, absolutely. I think as well as the two aspects of it. I mean, there's three in a, it's a conference trade show. You've got the actual commercial activity, people getting hands-on with the product at the trade show. But the conference is partially networking, which I don't think translates to as well online. But even if yeah. you can just attend, you could increase your bandwidth sort of 3x by just being able to pick and choose, right. watch the ones you want, not have to travel. I, I think there's a huge efficiency there. But that's I think that's by and large what we I hope happens out of this this idea of oh we'll all be sitting in our in our houses forever is not a fun way to exist. But I think this idea of being able to have the best bits of working from home, the best bits of video conferencing, and the best bits of in person attendance is quite a powerful thing because everyone's so used to it now. Everyone's so, so used to it. So let's let's talk specifically about your locations. How many venues do you have now? So we've got 50, 52 um, currently operational, um, and then another 13 more that are in the pipeline with contracts signed, deposits paid, ready to be rolled out. So yeah, it's really, really ramping up. And they're mainly uh, in North America and Western Europe. That's our two big, two big growth markets. How many do we have here rotation. in North America and, and where are they located? There's about nine at the moment. So there, um, I have to open up my map. They're mainly, uh, there's, a, there's a bunch in Texas, uh, Arizona, um, one in Oregon, uh, yeah. So east, east and west coast mainly. Sorry, east, sorry, it's Texas and sort of on the on the west coast mainly, and then a few opening up on the east coast as well. So that's amazing. Uh, congratulations. Yeah. How many of them are company owned versus franchises? So North America is all is all licensed sites. So different a combination of um, some are standalones, some like the one in Reno as an example is actually inside a, a wider sort of entertainment and casino complex. Some are adjacent, I call them, where they've got like a go-kart track um, right. and uh, zero latency, So, which is really good. And then there's, there's standalone ones as well. So it's, it's really good to get them out there and sort of see, you know, what works, what we can tweak, like how it kind of impacts the way we deliver the content. Um, well, it's great to go someplace that already has customers waiting for content. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as long, as, long as it's a similar demographic and price point, I think that's really critical mm -hmm. that you're putting it somewhere where I think yeah. the that's quite an important piece. Um, yeah. Uh, I wanted to ask you about uh, you're still using backpack PCs. Yeah, absolutely. Still, still using backpacks and um, and it's an HP stack. So, are you using the Reverb headset? Yeah, using the Reverb. Uh, depending on which side it is, but the one and two, depending on where it is in the cycle. Um, yeah, the Reverb is nice. Uh, yeah, so do, do you envision at some point going to, um, you know, more of a 5G environment where you can um, get rid of the backpack PC and do the computer yeah, we, headset? We actually, we actually did um, a test with a telecom provider where we ran, we set up a content server on the edge and ran um, content just over 5G with the backpack. Yeah. Um, which was which was pretty cool. So I had a Wi-Fi base station essentially connected through 5G to a content server in Sydney. We were playing in Melbourne. Um, it was pretty impressive. I think there's you've got to have a you're, you're completely at the mercy of your internet connection at that point, which I think yeah. is is something. But I think it's definitely a delivery mechanism that can be quite powerful as 5G rolls out. I think ultimately the backpack will disappear. The challenge is that finding the right you've got an interesting combination at the moment of you've got to have the right um, the right platform and then it's got to work for lbe like as an example the oculus quest given the sort of wall garden nature of it is not a particularly good headset for lbe you're not really meant to use it from facebook's terms and conditions and you don't have the level of control you need to take it from something that's a consumer experience 
into location-based entertainment. So I think a lot of what a lot of people don't um, what see until you're in there is all the things you need to do to make it operationally successful. Um, there's a lot there called like under the waterline to make it something that works well for an operator at scale. Um, there's a lot that makes that work. I don't think the current all-in-ones are there. Plus you've got the graphical, there's definitely a, a, a limit in, not yeah. so much graphical power to be honest, more that um, it's just not, there's not enough site CPU cycles to, mm -hmm. to generate the experiences people want. And especially as they're, um, they're, you know, the people's bar for what they want for content wise is getting really high. That's, that's our experience. Like when I look at what we shipped in 2014 as part of a crowdfunding campaign, um, you couldn't get away with that now. And people, people are trying to produce yeah. that sort of quality content now and struggling to get traction in the what, market. What is, because, so two, two, two questions. What, yeah. First is, um, are the leagues that you started running uh, in Australia, because they're so important because they allow you to manage, um, you know, throughput and um, utilization, right? Because you can move the leagues as a group to uh, hours of low utilization. So it, are you seeing that happening spontaneously around the other centers? Are, are they setting up leagues and are they attracting the, that kind of repeat player who's looking for uh, to increase mastery over time? Look, that's a little bit, the tricky, the tricky bit with that is finding, finding a, a commercial model that works really well for people to come to the centers. So the league thing, actually, that was very early on. That didn't really take off in Australia because we had to, we had to suspend it, but we're putting that back on the, on the list now as things reopen in, in mm -hmm. Oz. Um, interesting with the, with the demographics, there is a cohort of people that come back five or more times in all the sites. So looking at how you attract those players that really, really want to come back. I think the delivery as we move forwards of the technology will be interesting. I don't quite know where it's going to go. Like we've got, I do, we, we have, we're, we're looking and obviously we, we bring every single bit of VR hardware or AR hardware we can get yeah, our hands on. We bring it into the lab, <laughs> interrogate it, pressure test it, try to incorporate it into the system. But what um, always amazes me is how many fail at the, some at the first hurdle, but some in the last kind of 10% looks good, you know, either it's a build quality thing or it's an accessibility issue in terms of the just being able to access the hardware at the level we need. Um, that's a, And I think that that piece really needs to, um, that, that's going to be interesting to see how that pans out over the next 12 to 18 months. What, what, um, what is your most popular experience today? Definitely. Um, it's changing at the moment with Far Cry as, as that rolls out. And that's rapidly coming up to, um, it makes up about 30% of games played across the network. It's not available at every system. We've still got our Gen 1 sites. Um, but still, like, people really do love the zombie experiences. Um, they love that kind of, that scare factor. Um, but that also, we do have some sites that want to be running 15-minute experiences. But Far Cry is definitely coming up and getting really, really good reviews as tell, well. Tell me, tell me about Far Cry. Yeah, so that's a that's a great thirty minute experience. We worked with um, Ubisoft developing that, um, and it's uh, what I love about that game is we 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 made the decision based on a sort of well, not sort of based on market research and analysis of it's something what people really want to be experiencing. I think is going on a a digital like a long adventure, like feeling like they're you know challenge going through multiple environments. So you start, you start in the cage, you come into a larger open world, you kind of go back underground, you pop back up again. That, um, that reuse of space and that going through multiple environments just makes it experience so much more immersive. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's almost half an hour long, but it just, it just flies by, it really does. Um, 
and just that high quality of graphic fidelity that we could get by you know working with that company and investing more in AAA assets. The 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 gameplay is really refined like it's quite a simple loop because we find you've only got people for such a short amount of time you can't make it too complicated so we've actually stripped it right back and put some clever some clever things in there um like every button reloads essentially so that was one thing we learned it's like if you make the reload mechanic even like oh it's one button people get confused so if you if you crank the pump if you change guns if you reload you're in the game um and then the other thing that's really fun about that game is i think we've nailed the difficulty ramp like at the start, you go, I've got this, it's under control. And then all of a sudden, you're just in these firefights where, you know, you have to use cover, you have to work as a team. Um, I think that's been done really, really well with that game. And that's because of Ubisoft. Um, look, a little bit, a little bit of Ubisoft. Absolutely. I think in terms of driving quality and performance in the game, but a lot of the stuff that works in our games is zero latency IP. And I think one thing that was really interesting about working with Ubisoft is, you know, you're a small company, Ubisoft's massive, but for our niche of what we do, no one else understands, um, like, I don't think anyone, no one quite understands free roam VR like us, but I even think VR generally, we have such incredible depth of knowledge and what works and what doesn't in, in the VR and XR world. And be able so to bring are you, to bear on that speaking of that, cool. are you still doing um, defense work? No, no, not at, not at the moment. Uh, I don't want the public safety category. Uh, no, we, we Really did, good um, for VR training. Yeah, absolutely. It's very, it's all quite bespoke was, was my observation of working with those different companies and speaking to police forces and different um, defense units, because each, each unit, like even state to state in Australia, yeah. with different training needs, same in America, which is where I think the yeah. scalability of those platforms is quite challenging. Because yeah, I by think the, time the guys you get... who, are, who are succeeding at that are super focused on it and they're sort of part of that world. Yeah, you know, oh, absolutely. Well, actually, it's I'm a, going to Orlando to speak at a conference, and it's you know, um, it's a simulation conference, but it's all yeah. it's totally a military conference. I had never heard about it, and it's all about VR, but it's yeah. defense stuff. Yeah, I think I think as well, we're probably, I think in the next five, let's say five to ten years, it will become really a mainstay. Like there's multiple jurisdictions, either you know, law enforcement or defense military establishments using vr for different things there's already task trainers which you know not vr in our in our understanding but like i have a i used one uh we went to a, a demonstration day it's a full internals of a of a uh, attack vehicle and everything's everything is is accurate and you're essentially driving driving the tank virtually um which i can sort of see how powerful it is because they're quite specific to use the way that yeah. you you know it's not, yeah. not complicated but it's very specific knowledge so i think that's already quite well accepted the issue we found with working in VR is essentially the level of fidelity that they want so you don't detrain is ultimately the matrix. It's like we need this level of fidelity and this much tracking of the body and hands and fingers and all this stuff needs to be done. And there's the point that where they wanted it to be at, you're almost better to just do it in real life. Um, but I, I think the I think the technology will catch up with that. Like I think there is there's definitely stuff that we've seen, you know, under NDA, the stuff that we've seen publicly coming down the pipe, yeah. you know, between hand tracking and the pose tracking and um, just faster, lighter weight technology with longer battery life that you don't need all the, you know, all the cables. I think, I think in the next five to 10 years, it will be, there will be something that will, that will crack that market in terms of, if, of enough and enough fidelity to get what they want done without any detraining. 
So do you think um, an LBE like uh, zero latency needs a cadence of new releases to keep your audience engaged and to give them a reason to come back? Or, or do you think it's actually not that important anymore? I, look, I think it's a really good question, Charlie. I, th I think it's about really high quality content um, and less, less about volume is, is our observation. We, like we, have a, we have a game that we built five years ago that is still really popular because it's just a great game. And I think you know, the graphics look a bit creaky now, but people want to play it. Um, we're still trying to crack exactly why they want to play it, whether it's just the promotion, whether they hear about it, whether it's promoted at sites. But I don't think you need to be putting out a game every three to six months. And I don't think that's actually helpful. I think once you've got a bit of a back catalog like we do and you've got your major categories covered, um, there's there's plenty of entertainment there for people to come back to. And then I think repeatability for everyone in, in sort of location-based entertainment uh, is, the, is the thing to crack that how do you, how do you bring people back? And not, and not just the, the top five, five to 7% right. of enthusiasts. How do you make it relevant to, well, I, I think to what everybody? I've, what, what I've observed, I mean, the problem is, of course, you, you, you have actually a better situation to do that than most because you have enough locations to cover yep. the cost of new software. Whereas, you know, a company like say Dreamscape, you know, yeah. it's very hard to scale, but you know, you look at the void and the void is trying to come back in some form. Um, you know, none of the, most of the things they did didn't belong to them. The ones that did weren't their best stuff. Yeah. I, I don't know, you're, the void, the, the Ghostbusters thing, they never topped it for me. I thought the yeah. Ghostbusters thing was great. And then everything else just, and, but they had, you know, they felt like they had to have a lot of releases yep. and they put a lot of money into it. They spent a lot of time working with studios, trying to get IP. Yep. And I think it hurt them ultimately. Yep. I think it I, hurt I think them. I think it hurt their story. Um, I think that, you know, they got into a lot of expensive real estate thinking that they would um, be able to draft off all the foot traffic in the expensive mall, which... I don't know. I think it's working for Sandbox, but it wasn't working for them. Um, so I don't yeah. know what, what they're going to do with most of their landlords, the Void's landlords, sold off everything in their store for debt collection. So yeah, yeah. I don't know what, what the IP is that they bought for $2 million, but um, it's hard to see the Void coming back. No, I don't I even think know if there's room for them now. You know, no, I, 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 Yeah, I, I think the, the big challenges that the Void ran into the, the like high cost of what they did to set up and then the rigidity of it and something that zero latency always our thesis is it's more of a holodeck than it is a theme park ride you, yeah, the you flat gotta, floor you gotta, minimize, space. You gotta minimize your build out costs and um but you also want flexibility you you need flexibility because if you if you put too many physical props in um a, a, I think there's there's debatable how much you know having a real door increases the experience or walls. Like when's the last time you walked into a room and touched all the walls? Answer is never. Um, but I think that like, one thing that zero latency is nailed is that reuse of space, and you can have these massive digital adventures which are far larger than the physical space, and that yeah. gives you a much greater sense of immersion yeah. and presence than I know. Like being in a box that's slightly smaller than the box you're in as a concept for content just doesn't work. So. I think that's, and I think we're going to keep seeing that something that, you know, I think Dreamscape does a great job of what they do, but it's super rigid. It'd be interesting to see how they keep. I mean, I, I, I um, yeah, I mean, it's just that, you know, the problem is there aren't that many locations. 
yeah that will work but there must and, be a reason for that as well i think the you know there's when you look at or you can you know there's obviously what people tell you what's what's the reality inside their businesses but the fact that you know sandbox got you know, infinite money for what they need to do and are struggling to scale um, have gone from own size yeah. to franchise to back again, dreamscapes. There's something in those models that obviously doesn't scale well. Um, and I think it must come yeah. down to cost and potentially experience, I think with the- But, you know, the other, the, the other thing is, and I guess I'm wondering how you guys solve this problem, um, mm -hmm. you know, is too many seats during the week and too few seats on the weekend. And yeah. what I've observed, right, is you walk out of the movie theater and you're like, oh, VR. Yeah, let's do some VR. And you walk up there and they're like, yeah, I can get you in in 45 minutes. And you're like, well, dude, I've been in this movie theater for three hours. Yeah, <laughs> that, but that's absolutely. I think the I think there's a few a few ways. I think, look, I think Hollowgate solved that quite elegantly. It's a, you know, I think there's pros and cons of that model as well. Um, but shorter experiences, get up, get in, get out. But then the shorter the experience, the lower is only so much you can get someone to do and learn in that time frame. And even with half an hour, we have a palatial half an hour with a lot of our games. Even then, the mechanics have got to be stand on a thing, shoot at a thing. Like that's pretty yeah. much all we can give you. And then how do we build an experience around that? Um, but I think that, yeah, absolutely. That but that walk-up piece is, is complicated. Like a lot of what we do is online bookings, like the vast majority, and that works well because that's how you kind of manage demand. I know the thing about online bookings is that people have to be groomed to uh, be aware of your presence and anticipate. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's it's not a. I think I think that's if you look at the wider kind of market that's forming now. As as you know, there was a there was a abject disinterest in it in 2014. Then it was seen as the you know it really popped in sort of 2016, 17. Lots of flowers bloomed. I think there was already you know things settling and you know, markets are markets. You can only do so much if your product doesn't fit. And then the COVID pressure has has sort of crushed a lot of things that weren't going to work and, and pressure tested models. You're sort of seeing three key verticals or key segments form, I think. You've got the pod, like the the Kong, the um, the the VR Rabbids, which are low cost, no attendance, classic cabinet really with a VR theme, which are from an operator point of view, very popular because they are cheap, quick ROI, easy to run, easy to maintain. They fit right. within the wider cabinet ecosystem and they are very popular. And I think a really clever way to deliver a VR experience, but you also, there's only two player plus there's only so much you can have of that. Like it is pretty similar because it's such a, a constrained creative footprint. Then you've got your, your smaller pod tethered experiences, which are once again, a bit more expensive. You need an attendant, but you do get to have a pretty cool experience. Yeah, you need to about Omni. Uh, well, Omni's probably in there as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think because of the treadmill concept, you've got a bit more flexibility, but your your box blasters, your hollow gates with these tethered experiences. The issue with there I see is when you're tethered in a very small space, really, your personal space is quite small and you're not co-located. There's only so much content you can develop on that platform because you are quite constrained. I think that, but then you also do have this simplicity of there's no wireless connection that makes it simpler. Um, it's you know it's relatively low cost in, in a way, but it's still quite expensive. You're still talking, I think one you know one one hundred to one fifty USD for for a, for a system, and then um, and then I think yeah, so you have that in the middle, and then you have your free roam premium larger scale arena experiences. Mm -hmm. That sort of seems to be how it's falling out. I think people who are doing free roam in a smaller space, you can sometimes 
I think there's ways to do that cleverly, but I think if you don't do it cleverly, you just end up with all the constraints of a small space, with all the complexity of free roam VR. So that's sort of see how I see it breaking breaking out. And I think that middle section of um, be interesting to see where that middle section of sort of smaller four player experiences with tethers goes, because the tether definitely it's easier to deploy but it does constrain what you can do. It does really constrain what you can do with content because you kind of have to be pretty, you know, right. on a 180. Well, you're, that's, you're I think that's why Holgate put everybody in those little cars. Mm. To get around, absolutely. But right. I think, yeah, and, but what, what's interesting is speaking to, we've done a bunch of um, a bunch of calls over the last three to, three to six months talking to operators, current and potential. Um, there seems to be an acknowledgement that okay, people enjoy a VR experience out of home, that VR is still such a niche product in the home, not, you know, there's all these reasons for that. People want to come and they're excited by it. They're not as excited by laser tag. You know, they're a bit sick of that. Kids want to come with their dads or mums and play. Adults want to play. There's this consensus now, I think that, right, VR in, in, an, in a location-based entertainment setting is a thing. I still think the best way to deliver that with all the different pros and cons. There's definitely pros and cons to arena scale free roam. There's pros to tether. There's pros to pros and cons to pods. How you sort of bring all that together to make the ultimate offering, I think is still, is still to be discovered. Like we've got, we've got some cool things we're working on the lab that I think will crack a lot of that. And, and you know, be great to talk to you about those yeah. in two or three months. But I feel, I feel there's something cooking there that, that allows you to, to really, um, just keep bringing those great experiences, but I also think the cost of delivery is yeah. just got to keep coming down. That's also critical because yeah. it's it's that mainstream. It's almost like a the video game era compressed into a five or six year time frame. It's mm-hmm. just like right, how do we how do we make it something that can yeah. be in you know as many points of presence as possible is, is going to be critical for the industry. And then I, I've got That's, a feeling yeah. that all these empty movie theaters may be an opportunity, not to be like the movie business, but to be, you know, raw space for free roam yeah. experiences. You know, maybe yeah. maybe a movie theater is a bunch of free roam experiences, and then like they get the one premium movie, or or maybe it's even like a Alamo alehouse and they show yeah. science fiction movies. And I just think that you know, there's a there's there's a place for a more casual kind of David Buster's that has, uh, you know, larger scale yeah. uh, attraction. So I hope I hope somebody develops that. I'd be it would be so great to have zero latency like right in the middle of that. Yeah, well, that's that, and that's that's where we're going to be. It's already where we're we're heading. And I think that I think as the technology becomes, you know, there's more different there's different ways to present increasingly more diverse ways to deliver a compelling um, immersive VR experience. And I think that's, you know, how that sort of manifests will be interesting. But one thing that really drives me forwards, and I think anyone in the industry is, it's still really compelling. If you put someone in, um, in a VR, if you put someone in a, in a really great free run VR experience. It's well, never it's done. the only true VR. I mean, you're not yeah. teleporting, you know, yeah. you're using your real hands. You know, yeah. the, uh, the other people appear to be really in the simulation. So there is nothing like it. No, and I think there's something um, like from a kind of neurological point of view, when you're, when you're, when you're, when you're sort of sight and sound senses are completely absorbed and you've got a touch point, that's three yeah. of your dominant senses controlled by the system. Absolutely. You can really, and then I'm not, 
running into this reality break where I've got to do some contrived movement mechanic where the movement then feels natural. Um, I, there's a, there's a remapping that occurs quite quickly. And um, it's been some interesting Ted talks on it about the way that we perceive reality because essentially it's photons turned into electricity processed by your brain box. It's, you know, reality is quite blurry, you yeah. know, and, 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 and that's, that's the, re that's the reality reality is it's quite blurry. And I think what we're finding we start to do some experimentation with with different things that we'll talk about soon um, publicly. It's actually a lot easier to manipulate people's reality in ways that they don't even know it's happening, and it's vastly their their experience of reality and digital are actually really out of sync. But they don't notice it. There's some really interesting terrain that I think mm. is going to be covered quite soon with that, and that's where that that VR um, I think becomes really really interesting, where it's more democratized and mainstream. The content's high quality. And you're pushing the envelope for people of, of what is real and what is not. And that's, I think we're getting there. I think over the next two to three years, we're going to see some really interesting developments out of our company and also other companies of, yeah, this is, this is some interesting psychological terrain. This is some interesting, you know, this is a lot more than just, oh, it's a, it's a console right. game. Well, on a I mean, you could be, I mean, the ability to fool someone when you have control over their senses like that. Yeah, uh, you know something we haven't seen before. It's a, you know a tool that storytellers have really never had, have dreamed about, yeah. never had. And I think the um, it's such a like it's interesting when you look at you look at the something like the, the history of cinema. They basically got a camera and used to film a play because that's right. all they could think of. It's like, it's like and then well, sure, because know. every every evolution of media imitates the uh, media before it, right? So yeah. you know. Uh, you know, a television was illustrated radio, right? Yeah, until, <laughs> yes, yeah exactly, until exactly, create, until, exactly. Until they, the studios figured out how to make content that was native to television. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. And I, so, you know, I think, you know, when, when the, the internet revolution started in the early 90s, we all were using the, the publishing metaphor. Oh, it's yeah. every magazine ever written glued together. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the way people thought about yeah. it. And it was only after you know, several years that people were like, oh, messaging, oh, email, oh my God, shopping, you yeah. know, that, well, that, you know. Well, I think that's a, um, I mean, it's a, it's a trite thing now and it gets bandied about, but that fantastic interview with David Bowie, where you've got some BBC guy like scoffing at crazy old David's, David saying, no, this is, a, this is essentially stardom <laughs> is point to point now. It's not broadcast and it's asynchronous yeah. and that's the secret. And everyone is like, oh, David suggested it's like he was on the money he was a hundred percent but I think you do have that in all these industries as people see the um I was talking about that the other day to some um some people at work saying that it's like pitch zoom you know there was a time where on your little device you had a plus and a minus and he sat there and now pinch zoom is so obvious but there was a large <laughs> swath of time where yeah. you didn't have pinch zoom no you you, you know you're sitting there on the kiosk Plus yeah. and minusing, it's it's very interesting that how quickly things appear in the market and are just adapted. And I think we're going to have a few of those pinch zoom moments soon with XR and VR. I think I'm, I'm really buoyed to see that there's still passion and investment from both creatives and companies to drive mm -hmm. these new mediums. Because I think there's enough people in businesses that are using this technology day in, day out and realizing at the moment we are turning radio into tv that's not what we want to do they're starting to experiment with how with the best way to use this technology and the, the best use cases for it that aren't necessarily as obvious as they were you know two or three years ago i think that's really exciting and you know listening to um uh, uh tim sweaty from epic talk about his sort of vision 
it's you know there's there's some it's really interesting i think there's some really great technology platforms i mean the the i mean unreal 5 as a game engine to nerd out briefly i mean if that is even 50 percent as good as the hype that's a game changer i mean mm-hmm. that to have that level of fidelity yeah. and those tools that are removing the barrier from a creative entity delivering something of that quality i mean that 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 will mm-hmm. that will be a, such a game changer for for what um what is created uh in 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 both two dimensional but also vr and xr experiences i mean the the um if you've done those there's a video challenges you can do where someone puts up a picture of an arc it's either architectural visualization in unreal five or it's an actual photo of a real thing and i've done them with my family and we we, we can't tell it's wow. if you it's, it's a it's a crap shoot and that, i think that's that's super interesting there's that's another really, digital really twin of the world or a whole mother world yeah exactly so who and, is going to build that other world i think the world builders are going to be the streaming celebrities of the future yeah yeah absolutely Absolutely. Well, I've got, um, it's interesting watch in through this pandemic, um, watching, uh, you know, the generator, I've got two, two kids, 10 and, um, 10 and 12, but they watching their friends trans, like just transfer into the metaverse. And it's like, this is excellent, not just VideoCon, but you know, whether it's Minecraft or Roblox, but they are collaborating and building and creating online. Mm-hmm. Like that is just completely, um, native to well, that in well, a way communicating think, with each other in real time on text yeah yeah or or, or voice chat and i think yeah. um what's been interesting as well I've, I've observed some uh some friendships that were a little bit in real life and then online they're really good buddies and then i've seen them reconnect in real life and their relationship is much stronger it's not a facts it's not a it's 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 a it's a continuum which is really yeah. interesting so when these kids are online playing for hours a day building roblox or whatever their relationships are actually becoming stronger in real life. And when they catch up in real life, having not seen each other for months and months and months, they're into it because for them, the, the metaverse they're in and the real life they're in are now just one seamless continuum. Mm-hmm. And I think as a you know older person, it's hard to understand that. But um, for kids, it's like, oh yeah, I jump online. I, I, I build my house. I build my suburb with my friends. I talk to them on Discord. Then I catch up at the park. I think that's really interesting of how quickly people are adapting and also doing you know, interesting and creative stuff, building relationships, yeah. creating things online. I think this idea of, oh, it's, it's digital, it's a waste of time is now being challenged and, and riffing on that as well. I think what's interesting is what are, what's that generation going to create with the tools that they have in 10 years time? Mm. Like when they have just grown up in this, oh no, I understand yeah. my spatial reasoning is incredible. I can yeah. construct a house out of blocks. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was, I jumped on Minecraft, um, you know, it's in the pandemic with my daughter, and it's like, oh, this is actually, I've got a lot more respect for people who can do this because this is hard. Yeah. This is a complicated problem, <laughs> um, even in creative mode. So I think that's all the time we have, Tim. Man, we could talk for a long time. That was <laughs> well, thank you for your time, Charlie. And look, let's, um, we've got a few more interesting things coming down the pipe over the next sort of two to three months. So let's, let's talk again when we can, um, absolutely. I love zero latency. I love writing about zero latency and I wish we could jump into a a simulation right now. (laughs) (laughs) Nice one, Charlie. I'll speak to you soon. You take care. Thanks, Tim. See you, mate. Bye.